You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. What is up, everybody? Welcome inside Studio 34. This is Doc Jock. Alongside Dr. Mitchell Roslin, I am Greg Sussman. Doc, the Super Bowl is set. The Rams and the Patriots, the first time in 18 years or so, these two teams will go at it in the Super Bowl. Two overtime games coming out of conference championship Sunday. How are you feeling? One word, anticlimactic. Anticlimactic, says the good doctor. How come? Well, I mean, you, if you were a New Orleans Saints fan, after the Minnesota Miracle and watching that non-call, and we'll go back because they, you know, one of the things is I thought both coaches made very, very big mistakes coming down the stretch. Okay. Uh, I was watching the game with my good buddy, Scotty Kellen, who's a professional backgammon player. Cool. And thinks about probability. He decides which buffet to go to in the country club as to where you get the most value play. And Scott was jumping up and down when, when, when uh, McVeigh, Sean McVeigh kicked the field goal. To, to tie Idiotic. instead of going to the win, he calculated that the Rams decreased their chance of sure. winning that game by twelve percent. Yeah, and then you watch Sean Payton come down at the end, and Drew Brees throws up a duck that lands in 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 yep. in Ted Ginn's hands. You're at one fifty eight, and you're saying to yourself, "I'm thinking, does it make sense to allow them to score right. to get the ball back?" Yep. And Sean Payton goes and throws the ball. And now you have to play for the touchdown because it's the difference of getting the, the, the Rams getting the ball back with a minute 35, sure. 40 or, or not. And then you get probably what people are saying is the worst non-call in football history, which would have ended the game for all intents and purposes. I guess they could have let them score if they were stupid could've enough let, to do it. You could have let them score. I could have missed the field goal. There are a couple of other things that had to happen. I also want to note, we're talking a lot about this. I, I mentioned it earlier on today on some of our other shows. And that was the fact that, yes, they got screwed in a terrible non-call, no doubt about it. They had the ball in overtime, just like the Patriots did. Patriots went down and scored no problem. Saints threw an interception. Well, and that's the second thing that was anticlimactic because that was, there's, you know, I think the probability states that the team that wins the coin toss wins 52%. No, it is 52%. Of overtime games. But there are games and there are games. And, you know, give the Patriots credit for ground and pound in the first half. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think, I think everybody felt who was watching that game, whoever won the toying toast was going to win that game. Totally. And at the, you know, the one chance they had is early. Once they got that first and second first down and then, Hogan makes that absolute amazing yeah. catch, and sure. they probably would have gone for it. I don't think Belichick would have ever let them get the ball back except on downs. If, I agree with you. If Hogan— I agree with you. Hogan, Hogan didn't, didn't make that catch. But, I mean, I think that everybody watching that game wants Mahomes to get the ball. So where do we stand today? You know, is it going to become like the college game where they're going to review— Every play, I, I went to the University of Miami game against Florida State. I, I thought it was like going to end in next year. I thought I'd need a sundial by the time it ended because the college games are now over four hours mm-hmm. with, this, with the stoppage, which kind of gets a little bit unbearable. I yeah, think. and I, as you know, I'm a huge proponent 
of replay in general. Like, I think if we have the technology to get it right, we should always get it right. But I, I think that always goes to an extent. We've talked about this with baseball in that certainly when you're going down the first baseline, like, it, there should be replay. Like, if, you're, if you beat up the ball out of the bag, replay should verify that or tell you that you're wrong. When it comes to balls and strikes, that is a subjective thing, right? Like, yes, I know there's a strike zone, but that's relatively subjective. And I never want instant replay to verify that or cancel that out. And when it comes to the NFL, and there are calls, certainly that was pass interference. I'm not disputing that. But every referee, and every official, I should say, not just the referee, every official, calls the game differently. And yes, there is a textbook rule of what is pass interference and what is not. But some crews call things, will call everything. And some crews let them play a little bit. I don't want to take that out of the game. Is that hypocritical of me? No, I, I, you know, to some extent I agree because when we were growing up, we used to say they can call holding on every play on the offensive line. We still do say that, sure. But what's gotten even stranger is this contact beyond five yards because I don't think there's a play in the NFL where there's, con- where there's not contact beyond five yards. Right. Okay? Yeah. So it, it always seems like, you know, I, I, I figure that the players may understand what they call or they don't call. I, my favorite thing is, you know, you watch them knock the guy out of bounds or in the back of the end zone, and he can't come back in and catch the ball. Right. Well, he didn't get there by himself. And that's so, what you had but, said. Yep. But, so there has to be contact beyond five yards. So that's never called and called incidental. I mean, this was blatant on national television, and it's going to become a bigger and bigger story. I heard today that certain people, certain of the gambling sites are refunding the Saints players' money because based on the call that there have been a few. I saw Point that was doing that, yeah. A, a few sites. So that kind of means that we're, I mean, we're in this strange time now with gambling going legal in a bunch of different states and the integrity of the games becoming so important um, that it's, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. And now what happens is there are two weeks of unintentional bias saying that the wrong team's in the Super Bowl, so we really don't want the Rams to win. And, you know, you, you laugh that off and everybody's watching, but there are economists that say that the reason the home field is so significant is the unintentional bias of referees sure. that get captured into the sure. moment. And I completely understand that. I actually, along the same lines, was showing my fiance just two weeks ago in college basketball when you were at a home arena, the referee with the emphatic charge call or the blocking call when you're in the home arena and they're pumping up, they're pumping up the crowd. When it's the other way, they certainly aren't as demonstrative which that charge. And I think you see the same thing um, in home field advantage in other sports. Now, of course, this went against the Saints yesterday in their home, on their home turf, so you're not necessarily calling that out, but I don't know necessarily the best way um, to fix something that happened yesterday. The guy missed the call. Th- that, that's it. He missed the call, and unfortunately, it happens. Again, I do point out, even though they would have won the game and should have won the game, they had the ball first in overtime. Drew Brees threw an interception. Their offensive line didn't block. Guys got in his face. He heaved up a prayer that or his arm got hit, and they lost it. it you know? But the NFL has been a reactionary league. I mean, yes it, and no. If you remember last year, the mo- well, the two most common changes people wanted to see was the catch rule, which were cha- was was changed 
it, for the playoffs, which is crazy, like uh, a catch that in the Super Bowl that would not have counted three weeks earlier counted, fine, needed to happen. And I think, in all honesty, no one really questioned the catch this year. Like, it worked. Whatever they did. The second thing that they didn't change, Doc, which happened several times last year, was the running back or a um, ball carrier reaching over the goal line, losing the ball at the goal line, and going out of the end zone for a touchback. We saw that often last year, and we thought that was going to be a rule that was changed it, and ultimately it never happened. So while they are reactionary, usually, at least last year, we didn't necessarily see that. They're going to be reactionary this year. Okay. Okay, they're going to be reactionary (laughs) this year, and I think it's going to be kind of interesting because— it, you know, one thing is if you becoming the, the head of the, the referees is now becoming like a White House cabinet post where you use the post and then you right. go, paid, go, go to the media. Then you go to right. the media and you become like and you can't blow a call on the media because, you know, you become the expert like Dean Blandino and before him was Mike Pereira, like Pereira. Yeah, of course. And, and stuff like that. So I, I think what's happened is some of the more experienced people have moved on and I think they have to get control of this um and i think that it was really out there and having what everybody in this country perceives you're more understanding than most the wrong team in so the it's not Bowl. my team though to be fair uh, it's not my team either but and, and you know what the way peyton played it you know you can almost argue that he deserved it i mean sure. there is just after you know, the duck flies, and it comes down in Ginn's hand, and that pass should have been intercepted. Yep. And let's face it, as great as he's been, and we've discussed this, Drew Brees does not seem capable of throwing the long pass. Yeah. He missed several posts in the, in the um, game against um, Philadelphia where he just couldn't reach the, 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 the player, and the one long pass that he threw was absolutely you know, dreadful, it just landed in Ted Ginn's hands. Um, and I, I think that that's really interesting. But then that happens. You have a minute 58 to go. They have two timeouts, mm-hmm. okay? Yep. You run the ball, you run the ball, and then you run the ball, and then there's 50 seconds left, they have no timeouts, and you kick the field goal. There is no way. And then when you throw it on first down... Now you have to play for the touchdown because right. you're going to leave them a minute 40 because right. they can stop the clock. Sure. So that to me was crazy. And as I mentioned, McFay not going for it and giving them the chance to march down the field with that much clock and never see the, the, the ball again. You know, you have to go for it at fourth and a half a yard. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I thought he got a, a rough spot. I thought it was a little bit closer. Okay. But he, he, he could, he, he, you know, and... You have to go for it. Worst comes to worst, your defense is, ha, has them at the one-yard line. It's, it's not like you're giving them the ball at the 25-yard line. And, you, you know, I just see that as being an absolute no-brainer that you had to go for it at that point in time. Yeah, I, I, and I, it's so weird because with Sean McVay in particular, like— He got nervous. He got nervous. That's exactly what it was. He got nervous. Because he's—, he's you know, he's been at the forefront, right, of this, we're going to go for every fourth down type of thing, when it's fourth and inches, fourth and one year to do it. And Doug Peterson last year, to his credit, coached the same way. It's like the hitting first on 16 in blackjack. You, you, know, you, you do it every single time. Okay? You know, it's and probability, okay? Right. 
And there, you, you, you know, it's, it's very interesting. A lot of economic, uh, economists and probability people have looked at sports. There's nothing to icing the kicker, uh, you know, in terms of probability. I know it worked supposedly in, in the Bears game, but kickers do miss field goals, whether you ice them or you don't ice them. Um, but, I mean, this was really, really simple probability. And then, you know, it's interesting about the second game, which was a tremendous game, but anticlimactic because you wanted Mahomes to get the ball, okay? Right. And what's really interesting is you have a D Ford finger off sides, or are we talking about Tom Brady has thrown three interceptions? That's, very, that's completely true. Completely, completely accurate. Absolutely. You know, it just goes to show you how fine the line is. Now, D. Ford, uh, speaking of him being off, sliding up offsides, um, Andy Reid came out today. It was like, yeah, I mean, he was offsides. I can't dispute that fact. Um, normally, the referees do let you know, hey, you're letting, hey, be careful. At least it's like a warning. And the second thing is, was fatigue in that, you know, they were just tired. But Andy Reid, he had three overtime timeouts, man. You can call one of them. Yeah, well, it, it, you, I was watching the game with my, my, when my friend's sons who was saying he's got to call timeout, he's got to stop this right now. Um, it, it, it really goes to show how these guys are taken by the moments. And, and just like everybody else, everybody's screaming, but you know, when it came down to it, at, with, with 16, ready to go bankrupt, McVeigh held. He wasn't going to risk busting. And, you know, it was exactly the analogy, even though he knew the probability is that he wasn't going to bust. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that was stunning to me. As I said, Doug Peterson, over the last two years, has coached the first game like he coached the Super Bowl the same way. And he was going to be aggressive. And Sean McVay is always aggressive. I mean, the, the earlier in the game, right? Like, that fake punt at that time was very aggressive. It's fourth and inches for the game. It worked out. Obviously, they won there in the Super Bowl. But... Fourth and inches for the game. What are you doing? You gonna play scared he, now? He shouldn't have gotten the ball back. He should he not have gotten the ball back. He should not have gotten the ball back. And then we would. It, it's so funny. More so, and, and I can't answer the fact because this is the first playoffs that I've ever done a a a sports show. Okay. But it's amazing how you you know if things went in terms of the way you would think they would go what we would be talking about today, okay? Yeah. What would we be talking about today if, you know, Peyton plays it out? We'd be talking about, and it goes predictably, we'd talk about how McVeigh should have gone for it. Yeah. No one has mentioned that at all. Not at all. Okay? What would we be talking about today if D. Ford wasn't offsides, that Brady threw three interceptions? Yep. Okay. Including one, including one in the end zone, which was a bad interception. Sure, yeah, yeah, that was that was a bad bad interception. I mean, the last one, you know, he he did overthrow that Edelman tip ball, you know, on the second one. Right, I guess it could have been a great catch, but the ball was thrown a little bit high, and the last one really was hard to put any fault on him. That was you know your classic tipped interception. Yep, but think about how the dialogue would have been different. Then take another step back. It is absolutely amazing that the Patriots are here in favorites in the Super Bowl. Again. Again. And because when you look at who they have out there, okay, 
who they have out there, it's just you would say they have no speed. How does Edelman get open every every, si- every single third down? Like every play, and you know if it's that good to have a break for two, you know either way. Can the Giants please put Odell Beckham in the slot and let him go both ways? Wild, yeah. I mean because. You you just see Edelman find the weak spot every single time. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, one of the plays of all time was that was the greatest error since Bill Buckner. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> out of the ball, and it actually didn't touch him. You, you know, he just <laughs> when his hands went through that. You know, that was just absolutely amazing. That was, I mean, that, that was another amazing use of replay at, at that point. I don't know how it doesn't touch him. It was. It looked Crazy. like to the to the live eye. It looked like it changed direction. It looked like I nailed him, and the, and, and, and Jim Nance and Tony Romo were laughing. Like, is he saying it didn't touch him? And then they zoom in. I'm like, oh my god, maybe it didn't touch him. That was absolutely unbelievable. And Hogan's catch was absolutely sure. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You, you know, but more importantly, they went out and they had a great game plan. They were going to obviously shorten the game. If you watched the first half and you bet under, you thought you were in great shape. I don't think you ever thought you were going to lose that, you know, over or under game. And, you know, give Kansas City credit. They made a lot of plays. It looked like, you know, again, you get to replay, and, you know, we, we, we speak about the New Orleans Saint game. It looked to me like the Sammy Watkins play and the other touchdown to Walker, they both looked like they were illegal picks to me. I mean, I, they didn't really show very much about that, you know, the plays where Mahomes ran to the, to the other side. They both looked like pick plays to me. Yeah, I mean, they they were. They're all the, it's all the same. And we talk about holding on every play. You could call it pick play on every play, pass interference on every play. That's why, kind of bringing this full, full circle a bit, you can't really do much with the refs. Like, what are you going to do? Well, so, I mean, that's, the real question is, right. is this reactionary Monday or what happens? Right. Okay? Right. Is, you know, what's going to happen? Does the overtime rule... Does the overtime rule change? Should we not be deciding this on a coin to us? Some people say that right. everybody should get the ball. But, okay, so, so New England scores, Kansas City scores, then New England scores. There's still an advantage to the coin toss if you have a non-defensive game. Yes, fine. But I am of the belief, I am on that standing. I talked about this earlier as well. The NFL, the reason they have the OT rules the way they are is because defense is a part of the game. Defense does matter. And they had four third downs on that play, on that drive, rather. You got to stop them once. One time on that third down. But they would have gone for it. Not a fourth and ten, I don't think they do. A fourth and ten, I don't know that they go for it. It depends on where. Right. It right. depends. Any, 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 certainly anywhere, less, anywhere south. Anywhere south of midfield, yes. You think so? Absolutely. Okay. I, I mean, I, I think that, okay. I, I think that you, you know, he, he didn't think that they were going to stop them, and at least from getting three. You know, don't forget, once, once the change of possession, yes. three, three wins the game. Right. I, 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 I think that he would have had the attitude, Brady's my best player, well, I'm going to lose with my best player. Maybe. And he certainly may have. But... If you're the Chiefs, you got to put Belichick in that position to make the decision, and you didn't. Four different times. Edelman, Edelman, Gronk, and Hogan. Nothing. So if I asked you what's more likely, the replay rule change or the overtime rule change, you'd say the replay rule today. Yes. If I had to choose one of them, yeah, yes. 
And how does that change? Past interference can be challenged. I mean, this was in the last two minutes anyway, so it wouldn't have made a difference of challenging. So I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think... I don't think League office has a right to call down on any yes. egregious call. Yes, I think that's what it has to be. So this is. Gonna- I would say. I would. I would say this. What they would do is inside the last two minutes of a game only. The league office has the ability to call down to the referee and have them relook at something. And do you think you know? People talked about the college rule, which I absolutely hate. Each team gets the ball at the yeah. the, the twenty yard line. But I, I think you're going to see in the next few years the overtime rule change. Well, we bit. saw it. You know, we saw it recently with the change where each team gets a shot. Um, as unless long as, there's, a unless there's a touchdown. Yeah. That was a great rule change, I thought. I don't know that you're going to see it tweaked so soon. I, I don't know that. It, I think they like what they have. I think they buy into defense. And, and they'll so, rationalize it that the Rams didn't have the ball first and won. Right. Exactly. So we Same went man. one yeah. and one, so it was fair. Right. Which is what it should be, now, right? Now, 50 Yeah. Well, you know, the, the truth of the matter is if you had a real win in, in a defensive game, it may be advantageous to pin people back and, 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 and then have the shorter field, assuming, but those days are over. Long over. People say that, you know, there's, there's no truth to defense wins championships. Um, is there no truth to that? I, I understand why they say that, but like, I don't know if that's fair, right? Like, when Seattle won, which is not that long ago, like that was a defense wins championship. When the Broncos won, that was a defense wins championship. So I, I wouldn't say that it's dead. I'd say right now, today, this is obviously the season of this is the season of offense and the high octane offenses. You're going to see a defense do very, very well soon. Well, you also you you also tend to play most of these big games, especially Super Bowls, in nice weather. Not always. But dome settings, which you know, usually set themselves up to more of an offensive show. Right. I mean, no, of course. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about watching the league this year is, and there was a very you know scary article uh, in I think ESPN Plus saying that the biggest risk to football is that you know the insurance side and something the doctors would understand with malpractice and negligence insurance is that there's becoming a real difficulty getting insurance for football at virtually every level. And there are going to be very few companies writing it with all the concussion stuff going tough. What's interesting is I actually do think that big injuries were down this year. I know there was Jimmy Garoppolo, but if you think about... Jerry McKinnon as well on the same team. And Alex Smith. Oh, yeah. You know, which was a terrible, terrible injury. But... By and large, they put these rules in place because they wanted to have Breeze, Brady, Mahomes, Goff standing upright at the end. And they were. Yeah, yeah. You know, most teams made it through the season. With their starting quarterback. With their starting quarterback. If they wanted to. (laughs) If they wanted to. Okay. (laughs) If they wanted to. They, they, you know, I know Cam Newton has had problems. Cam Newton had some problems. Aaron Rodgers was banged up as well. I mean, it, it's still a physical game. Don't get me wrong. It, we're not, they're not playing. But, but more so, I think more of the stars were on the field, you know, than then in the past, which I think they think is a good, relatively good sign. I think they, I agree with that. I, th- I think they like that too. I think that you bring up the quarterbacks and you have to wonder, all right, if you're going to make pass interference reviewable, is roughing the passer going to be one of those reviewable plays as well? I mean, the, the one on Brady, Brady was, was absolutely ridiculous. horrible. He basically, well, I'm this is as close as I am to you. 
That's how close he was to the head. You know, and but you know that I, I it was said while watching the game, um, and you, you know it was some of the things that Tony Romo said were great. Like when when Gronk was was split out wide to the left, and he told told you exactly where Eric Berry was, and that. Brady's read was to go amazing. <laughs> that wasn't that terrific. Yep, <laughs> that was absolutely terrific television. Um, but you, you know the, I think it was Dan Blandino said you can't anticipate the call, and with roughing the passer and something like that that's outside the play, you got to be goddamn sure. It was Gene Steratore. Yeah, it was Gene Steratore, mm-hmm. who also was a college Big Ten referee. By the way, retired from that this year for the first time. Yeah, and and according to my friend, he was a great referee. Really. Yeah, he said Gene was a great referee. That's cool. Said, I, I, I like to hear that. Yeah, he said Gene was, he, he let him play, yep. would talk, would let you balk at him to a certain point when, you would, when, <laughs> when he had enough, he would tell you he was done. Um, but he was, you see, and this is the problem with replay, is that good referees' goal was to allow the players to decide the game. Now, and that's interesting because I spoke a lot about this last week and I spoke about this today. The referees that refed yesterday's game were Bill Vinovich and Cleet Blakeman. It was the first time that a non-Super Bowl referee refereed twice in the postseason in many, many years. How it normally works is you have your your four ref for the wild card, your four crews, four crews for the next weekend, and one of those crews refs the Super Bowl in the, that ref the divisional round. The conference championships are normally your second and third ranked refereeing and their crew. But because the NFL had so many new refs this year and trusted certain guys so much more, both Vinovich and Blakeman referee both in the wild card round and in this round. No surprise that Vinovich is one of these guys because he refereed more Sunday night football games this season than anyone has ever refed in a single season. Now, a couple of those were flexed. But a couple of those where we wanted our best out there. Blakeman is another guy that was constantly seen on Sunday Night Football. They believe the NFL that Blakeman and Vinovich were two of their best referees. And I'm sure the crews that they, that they brought with them this weekend were the best, absolute best that they had. Vinovich and his crew, by the way, called less penalties than any other crew this season. The NFL liked them because he let them play what you saw yesterday in that rams game was mostly the referees letting them play with the game on the line and the rams making a close hit they let him play and then and and then you know you forget that the because he threw the interception the first play of overtime they called pass interference too correct was that your makeup call 100 percent. and i said to and judy we were watching this game, and Judy goes, that was a pass interference. And I go, it's called a makeup call. That's exactly what it was. Now, he, it was right. It was pass interference. Was it nearly as egregious as we saw 10 minutes earlier? No. Is it one of those plays that could have been called on every single down? Yes. But it was a makeup call. But you're in a dangerous play because, you see, I've been less... When, before anybody wants everything reviewed, Go a watch a college football game. Yeah, and it takes takes forever. But b go watch a major league baseball game from 1972 to 1975. That was two hours and 20 minutes, and basically you were taught that you couldn't walk your way around the bases. Yeah, 
now, honestly, the major leagues has become more like Little League where you're taking a goddamn strike. Mm-hmm. And the games are three and a half hours. And honestly, unless you're a fan of a team or a complete fantasy sports junkie, most games are becoming unwatchable unless you invest it. You know, the NFL, we, for everything we can say, it was very, very watchable. It moved along. There were two overtime games. Be careful for what you wish, wish for because you may get it. And I don't know if that makes the product. I mean, remember when Replay first came out and we had the commercials about the zebras underneath the hood and it took three minutes and, and stuff like that? Now, they've gotten it much, much better, but if you start stopping it all the time and then on replay, everything looks like pass interference. Yep. And, they, and that's, that's my biggest concern because we sound hypocritical when you talk to coaches and they tell you what makes a good referee. It's not that they call everything. It's that they're consistent and that the players know what they're going to call and what they're not going to call, and they call it the same way for both teams. Yeah, and you want it fair for both teams. When Unfortunately, you have something that is as egregious as what took place last night. It's just not that easy, annoyingly. It's just it, it, it's simply not that easy. But as you said, Patriots are back. Fifth Super Bowl in their last six years, three in a row. And as I said this afternoon, it's amazing that it is the same quarterback and the same coach that started this thing 18 years ago or 17 years ago, right? It's amazing. 17 years ago, we were talking about Marshall Falk and Kurt Warner and Kurt Warner, Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce with coached by Dick Vermeil against Brady and Belichick. And we are so far past that era of Rams football. It's incredible. I mean, it was a city ago, number one. Number two, they've gone through the Mike Martz era, the Jeff Fisher era, quarterback hell, quarterback purgatory. And now they're back in the Super Bowl. Forget about it. Think about it somewhere else. They started as a primarily defensive team back in that day, right. to some extent. Richard Seymour, uh, Rodney Harrison, you know, Brady, him eliminated, picking Brady instead of Drew Bledsoe because he felt he made less mistakes. You know, that was really the the... You know, at the beginning, you know, I'm not going to use a terrible word that Brady, Belichick considered Brady a very good game manager. That's right. Okay. Nobody, nobody remembers that. And then you go to the Randy Moss era Mm -hmm. where that was actually their most explosive team, the team that lost to the Giants. You know, if there wasn't Eli Manning, you know, and the Giants, and we give Eli too much credit, but the Giants, I mean, think about what their legacy. Right. It would even be greater. Then you have the two tight ends, you know, with Aaron Hernandez and Gronk. And then you go back. Now you come to this team, which is very, very different. And, you know, you know I know everybody lays their eggs and has their bad games. But if you watch this team play Tennessee, okay, and they're a well-coached team, they were god-awful. Yeah. They were slow. You watch them play Detroit. They were blown off the ball. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely amazing, you know, that they came in and could do what they did. And, you know, they kept Kansas City in check. And, yep. <clears throat> you know, I thought 
their game plan was masterful to shorten the game, and that was what they, you know, they, yeah. they, they wanted to do. They wanted to be in a close game in the fourth quarter and figured we, we're going to find a way to win it because we usually do, except against the Eagles and the Giants. And it's amazing because betters and fans are always, just like, always lean toward the Patriots because they say it's the Patriots, that they'll figure it out, and they do. More often than not, they do. They let offensive linemen after offensive linemen go. Nate Solder becomes the highest-paid left tackle at the time in the history of the NFL. And they bring in a guy that they traded for in the third round. Or they traded for a third-round pick uh, with San Francisco. Stole as your left tackle. And here they are. Now they score Has Tom Brady not been touched yesterday? Besides, our, besides the roughing the passer where he wasn't touched. Which, you know, again, <clears throat> what's interesting, though, is that they played the game exactly the way they wanted to play it because Kansas City is, to some extent, a more modern-day version of the Peyton Manning Indianapolis Colts, meaning that they have an offense that's supposed to score, they're supposed to play from ahead, and then their team is based on speed rush from the outside. It takes off because you can tee off, you're playing from ahead. The Giants always got into Brady because they put Tuck in the middle and they got a center rush, which, again, if they get a decent referee, <laughs> I hate to say that, but in the dominant Sue and Donald being defensive tackles right. is a very good type of matchup because I think that you beat the Patriots up the middle. Okay. And... I actually think that's, you know, I, I, I began to mention this last week on, on, on last week's show. Yeah. I think that with the run-pass options, I said that Quinton Williams is the perfect player. I think that the Vince Wolf folks that stand up the line aren't going to be as valuable as the 4-3 defensive tackle that can split the gaps. Because I think everything has been designed with that weakness in the middle and the way to, to, to beat all of these things is penetration up the middle. So I think, you know, we go, went through the Lawrence Taylor where the typical rush was from the outside. I think now we're going to see the reemergence of the Allen Pages of the world. So I'm really dating myself. One thing we have not talked about yet, Doc, goes back to the other game with the Saints and the Rams. And that's Todd Gurley, who had four carries yesterday, four touches yesterday. Uh, started the game with the first two drives, dropped two bad, uh, two bad balls that he normally He's catches. Hurt. Right there, yeah. He's hurt. Seems, I mean, seems all right. Well, again, Todd Gurley's as good a player as there is in the NFL. I mean, he's ter- been terrific in the year. And if he's not hurt, you would tend to believe that Sean McVay would just keep feeding him. Because, you know, <clears throat> cream always surfaces. Water always hits its level. So by and large... You, you wouldn't take a short sample and make it make decisions. I don't believe that coaches believe in hot hands as much, like C.J. Anderson has a hot hand. You know, there's a reason why C.J. Anderson has been cut by two NFL teams, yeah. and Todd Gurley, coming off knee surgery, was the fourth pick in the draft. So you would just keep on feeding him. I mean, you, you know, take it home right now. Barkley's not hurt, has drops three passes. 
Do you think that Wayne Gallman is better in his dreams or you just hope that Barkley wakes up? Right. You just hope that Barkley wakes up. You're not going to take a small sample size. These guys didn't get where they are because they're dumb. No. So the only thing that makes sense is that he has knee surgery. He's got, you know, he's, he's got a stable anterior cruciate. They wouldn't take a chance at that. But he's got a, some sort of cartilage injury that he's playing through the pain. And if they scope him, he would miss the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And they're hoping the inflammation goes down and that he can play in the Super Bowl. But there's just no way if he's right, you wouldn't feed him. I'd like to think, I'd like to agree. I'm just very surprised and shocked. And only because he looks fine to me. Like he he seems fine. And. But you know, that's the difference between the difference between people. And and that's what's so remarkable when you see. Yeah like some of the runs that Barkley right. made or right. Michael Vick going back right. when, when it looked like a video game. I mean, these are the greatest athletes in the world. I mean, these, 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 these guys are running 4-3, four, 4-4, four, four, and when these guys make them look like, you know, people are playing two-hand touch, it's just absolutely amazing. So that fine difference is enough. Yeah. Maybe, and, maybe, and if you're running just a little bit, yeah, you, you right. wouldn't pick it up. But there's just no way... And you know something? They just signed him for big money. <clears throat> There's just no way he wouldn't be saying, you know, let, let, let's, 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 let's take another example. Okay. James Harden, and, and it's interesting, the Nets played a 150, what was that, one, 106 three-pointers? Yeah. Um, let's say James Harden misses his first 12 shots. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. And we're in game seven. Yeah. Okay. We saw, we, we saw that last game seven. Is he still on the court at the end? Yes. Because you feed the monster and you hope it changes. Correct. You know, that, that, that's basically. But do you think this is bad for basketball, what's going on? So Mike Francesa said that, right? Mike Francesa was the one that said the NBA is dying. I never thought I'd see the death of a sport, and he's dead. Well, he's out of his mind. Sure. NBA's never been hotter. It's the, the sport of the NBA. You, you, you know, again, it, it, it's, it's, I hope that mentally, and emotionally, I never get old and have sour grapes. You know, when people tell, tell people that, you know, the music when I was growing up was great, you know, and stuff like that. And, 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 and you have people who do. This is called sour grapes and that the best players played when, 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 when they were my friends type of deal. And, you know, this is like the anti-new type stuff. The NBA has never been hotter. I, I've said this. My, my dad explained this to me who was in broadcasting. Radio made baseball. Great game listen to you had great announcers that could paint the picture television made football because the stoppage of play and started with the baltimore coach giants championship game but football with its stoppages is an absolutely great great sport for television it just is perfect you have just the right amount of time out you can eat you can go to the bathroom it's a perfect television sport absolutely if television had to design a sport, it would be football. The internet and streaming is perfect for the NBA because they've marketed their stars. Yeah. They're the greatest athletes in the world. You can see them. They're not wearing helmets. They're not wearing different things. You see them flying through the air. It has also become probably, with the exception of soccer or, you know, or, 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 or what people would call real football, the most international sport in the world. Mm-hmm. So if you want to buy stock in a sport, 
I think basketball would be the one you'd be buying. And I think everybody agrees with that, right? Like, I don't think you're going out, going out on a limb of, of any sort by suggesting that. I just think that the NBA has figured it out. They have figured out what, how, be, how to best utilize a phone and share everything. Well, the NFL and the MLB are, are archaic. They have too many Mike Franceses. They have too many Mike Franceses. They have too many Mike Franceses. Right. You know, they, 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 they don't understand your generation. Yeah. Okay. And they, you know, th this is, you know, this, this is happening, you know, in a lot of different fields mm -hmm. and you're going to see in, in, and what's, what's amazing to me is that, you know, you still have 75 year olds running for president, whether it's Joe Biden, you know, I, people want, I, I think that, you know, young people should want young blood instead of, the same generation that's taken everything from them. Yeah, there, there's absolutely no way. Um, there's no way that they're going to be able to just snap a finger and just change that. It's not going to happen. They need, they need more players. The NFL, for instance, like Patrick Mahomes and guys of that ilk that that get it. I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, Kyler Murray will be fun to yeah. watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's he'll be really, really, really exciting. By the way. You know, I, I've been thinking about it. You know, it's interesting that one of the reasons people gave for Gettleman being fired was that he wasn't loyal to the Carolina players, that he was Belichickian. And I think all of the quiet around the Giants means that he's moved on. Maybe I'm wrong. I think that if they were going to bring Eli back yeah. as the man... They'd be creating this big type of smoke screen and stuff like that. And they're very, 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 very quiet. I think that noise will pick up after the Super Bowl when all we have to look toward is free agency. Of course, Jacksonville hires uh, John Filippo as their offensive coordinator. So everybody thinks Nick Foles so is Everybody thinks Nick, Fo Nick Foles is headed there. Do you? Um. You know, I, I think the Nick Foles situation is, is interesting. Number one, I think Philadelphia has to get rid of him or else they'll have a quarterback controversy. And Wentz I agree is, with that. Wentz is definitely their man. I agree. On the other hand, and, you know, I think they would be, if they tag him, they run the risk of everybody saying, fine. If, if I'm in the NFL and they tag him, I'd say, okay, now you've vested 45, $45 million in the quarterback position, go field the team. You know, so, I mean, I think that's a risk. So I think that they shake his hand and let him make the best deal okay. possible. Um, and I think that Jacksonville's a, a, a reasonable landing sure. spot for him. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I think that the, the Giants would talk to him. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I think that, you know, I think there are several, several, I think Denver potentially. Now, the only other possibility is that Foles decides he likes his job sure and you know he seems to be a different sort of person that he might but is it so crazy for a guy like Nick Foles to like his job you're making millions of dollars I mean more money than you'll ever need right you've won a Super Bowl you've done it all you can make a very nice living holding that clipboard and if they need you you're there if not okay Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's really just harder on Carson Wentz. So I think 
I don't think they're going to give him that option. I agree with you. I agree with you. Because I, too many Philadelphia people. Philadelphia is a tough town. It's not worth. It's not worth it. It's it, it's not worth it. It, it. It's a tough town. But on the other hand, Carson Wentz has never stayed healthy. Nope. Nope. And you know he he's oh we left him off at the quarterbacks. I got hurt. He he's very oh. very much upright. You know he's an incredible athlete, um, but he takes a lot of hits. He may have a little bit of what we talked about with Robert Griffith. You know, he doesn't know how to protect his body that well. So, better figure it out. Yeah, he better figure it out because he's a big target. Now, Roethlisberger has taken a beating through his career, much greater beating than, say, Manning or Philip Rivers has. Definitely. You know, through his, through his career. Um, but no, I, I, I do not think the Giants are going to only have Eli Manning and Alex Tanney at the quarterback position next year. I'm quite sure you're right about that. College basketball. Exactly where I was headed next. The Duke Blue Devils fell, and of course they fall to Syracuse, who every year has that one win, and everyone, they're always in the bubble, everyone freaks out, and they always make it, and Jim Beheim stomps his feet until he gets what he wants, and they're always trouble in the tournament because no one knows how to play against their zone, and that win against Duke... Put them right back where they always are. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world, Doc. As someone that has no interest in seeing Syracuse and Jim Beheim cry like a baby again. Well, did you? I watched that overtime in that game. I did and not watch it. I watched the overtime. I didn't see the whole game. And now, by the time I was watching, Trey Jones got hurt. Well, yeah, and they he got could, hit it very early on. And they could not do a thing in overtime. And then I watched the Virginia game. And first of all, the Duke athletes are better suited for the NBA. Sure. Definitely. There's, there's no question about it. So this is not a knock on a up-and-down game. Zion Williamson goes to the hoop incredibly well, mm-hmm. both hands incredibly well. He can't shoot straight, you know, which is something he has to work on. Barrett is not a great shooter at the present time. Very nice player as well. But... You can't shoot it. So there are 20 teams in the country that can beat Duke in the NCAA tournament. First of all, I would say the, you know, we, we talk about the Big Ten going eight and nine deep. I'm not, Duke can beat every single team in the Big Ten. Don't get me wrong. But the first eight, nine teams in, uh, on their night can, can, can beat Duke as well. So you, you have tremendous parity. You know, Virginia, who was undefeated, really... You know, Duke played very, very good defense, and, and the kid guy didn't shoot the ball real well. He had a big shot at the end. But they didn't look unbeatable by any stretch of the imagination either. So I think that just like we talked about parity, I think you really have a lot of parity in college basketball. You, you saw, as we said, Duke, one of those teams that fell. Uh, much of the top five fell last week with Kansas falling, uh, Virginia falling, and Michigan falling as well. Uh, we know a lot about the Big Ten, both, both you and I. And the Big Ten, it's as good as I've seen it, actually, um, in a very long time. And each of these teams can beat each of these teams. No, so that's Espe- what I'm saying. Not just on the top. The home, the top of the, especially, and the ACC is pretty much the, pretty much the same. Yeah. But, but you know what? I, I, on a neutral site, okay, Maryland can beat Duke. Think so? Absolutely. Thanks. Okay. Iowa can beat Duke if they shoot it well. I mean, you know, you know, they're going to have trouble with 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 speed, and and it depends on how these games are called. You know, to to oh, some extent. Yeah. You know, if they, uh, you know, teams like Iowa live on the foul line and 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 stuff like that. Duke is not a great shooting team. So 
Bayheim zone, the 2-3, which was designed against bad shooting teams, which is a tougher defense to play right now because most teams shoot the three so well. Right. I mean, the 2-3 the right. was designed to pack it back and make people shoot. Right. Okay? Now, if you make shots, you're going to beat the zone. Now, what's hard against Duke's athletes in a zone, and this is where Syracuse has an advantage, and it's not so simple for everyone else to play the zone, is that Bayheim recruits for the zone. Correct. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the hardest thing for most college teams that switch defenses is A, they can give up the long shot and then rebounding out of the zone. So, you know, they, Syracuse has that center and length and they rebound out of the zone better than other teams mm-hmm. because they play it consistently. Mm-hmm. Most teams really struggle against Duke's athletes because if you're coming in and playing Duke, you would definitely zone them because they can't shoot straight, mm-hmm. okay? But your problem's going to be they're going to crash the boards. Zion, Reddit, and these guys are athletes like you can't imagine. Mm-hmm. And Bolton's an athlete, too. They're going to crash the boards, and you may not be able to rebound, and that's where they kill you. That is where they kill you, and that's... They'll, they will be, no matter where they're ranked, the number, the favorite, betting favorite to win it all? Well, I would, take, I would take field. you take the field? I'd take the field. Hands, hands, now, the, hands the, down. the real bet, I believe, is... What is going on? What is going on in here? Is um, Duke... It's Duke, Gonzaga... Kansas versus the field, right? Am I missing any? I think I think that's that. I, I would field. take field too. Too. I th- I think that you you know the the difference between the top five and ten to twenty five is smaller than any time in my life. Well, that's what I was saying. That the bottom, at least in the Big Ten, the ACC, the top and the bottom are okay. Michigan State, Maryland tonight. Tonight, I mean, it, it, you know, Michigan State's ranked uh, Maryland's thirteenth in the country. Michigan State six. Yeah, and I think that game is in Michigan State. Michigan State is a nine, nine and a half point favorite tonight. Michigan State plays very well at home. <laughs> yeah, you know, and 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 they can, and and you know, again, that's that's the other thing that you don't realize is that Maryland, you know, you have two two parts of the Big Ten. Okay, you have Indiana, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State. Okay. Then you have the other teams, and they have not yet earned their dues. So Michigan State at home, you're going to really have to beat them. Right. You're talking about getting calls? Not, not getting anything. You're not getting anything tonight. No. You're, you're going to be, you know, I hope that you have an extra TV set, you know, at home, and your fiancé doesn't get mad at you when you break the TV set yeah. after they, like, foul out, like, Daryl Morsey in, like, right. you know, in, in, in the 34th minute if it's a close <laughs> game. But, you know, one, my favorite story of the weekend, I have to talk about, New York Times does an article about obesity in, in, in NFL football players, and I've actually operated on some in, in, in my time. And I think it's really, really kind of a, a very, very interesting story. And it's, it's a question that I get a lot, like what happens to the big offensive linemen that you see and are they unhealthy and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And it's, it's kind of interesting because we've seen a bunch of them through the years, myself, my colleagues, there's been some affiliation with the Jets at Lenox Hill. Um, actually, while they're playing, most of them are fairly healthy and don't have any sign of metabolic disease. Hmm. But... This is really the truth. Big linemen, when they retire, they either slim down right. or they have many medical problems, including you know, the running backs. And that's what the story was. And there's 
been a whole host of different things. While people have talked about concussions, the amount of obesity, diabetes, and kidney disease in many of these people is, is astronomical and probably a bigger problem than just the mental illness and the concussions that have become, you know, the f- f- things for, for, for movies. Um, and you realize that through these kids' lives, they've probably been taught to have absolutely no dietary discretion whatsoever. Bigger was better, and it may not even be true. And then you have the other extreme. So it's interesting. Nutritionally, you have two types of athletes. You have athletes like Sterling Sharp and um, Kurt Thomas is another person that, that I met a few times that look at their body as their cathedral. It's like your studio. They take care of it. Like, you know, anything they put into it, they realize that this is the output that I get. And then you have other athletes that they've just been natural athletes and they don't equate what they eat to their output because it's never made a difference in their entire life. So you have Tom Brady's and the TB that are absolutely obsessed and I think much more on the the right track, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. And then you have people who are just natural athletes and possibly eat at McDonald's two hours before they... Charles Barkley, Barkley, essentially. And and they basically polarize both ways. And I think that, you know, in this country where obesity is an epidemic, you know, we're not doing these people's services, especially we're looking at the NFL that wind up unhealthy. But what happens to all the college kids that sure. are doing this? I think it's a great point. I think there's very few instances, maybe because you don't see a lot of the offensive linemen after they go away. Um, like David Deal's an announcer, right? He's a big dude. He slimmed down. He looks great. He does. But nobody... Chris Snee lost a ton of weight. Chris Snee lost a ton of weight. And the one I'm leaning toward um, is Nick Hardwick, who I, I couldn't believe it was the same guy. Where he was a longtime center for Philip Rivers forever. And this dude took beating after beating and beating. He's a monstrous human being, of course, right? He was a center. And he retires, kind of surprisingly. People thought he'd come back, but he retires. And then he shows up in training camp a year later or opening night or something like that. And he was as skinny as I am. I was like, holy crap, what happened to Nick Hardwick? And he just, like, you know, I stopped eating like an idiot. And I knew I wasn't working out as much as I was, was as a professional athlete. And I just, I didn't like the way I felt. I didn't like how my body felt. And he's that's, a much, much skinnier That's very, now. very rare. And maybe certain pro athletes, because they have so much discipline, can go ahead and do that. But it's very, very I'm, rare. I'm looking, I'm looking at it now, and it's, it's, it's crazy. He, he, he looks like a totally different guy. Yeah, it's to- but it's very, very rare. Most pe- kids who are severely obese as adolescents are going to be as obese as adults. Yeah. This is the first generation that's going to not outlive its predecessor for several reasons. You know, it used to be just obesity and diabetes. Now it's actually drug overdose as well as being added into. Drug overdose is actually reaching, coming such a critical thing that it's actually reducing life expectancy. Think about that when there's so many people in the United States. Yeah, it, it, It's really, really chilling. But I think that... You know, in the high school level, I, I was just watching like QB1, uh, which is a, a Netflix show about Kate, uh, three quarterbacks, Jake Fromm, uh, Tate Martell, who just transferred to the University of Miami. And actually, he's trying to get a hardship waiver. 
waiver so that he doesn't uh, miss a year. Miss a year. What do you think about that? Do you think that a coaching change should qualify you for a hardship waiver? No, I don't think it should qualify you as a hardship waiver. But if as coaches leave, anybody should have the ability to leave. Right. Why should the kid have to sit out a year? It's ridiculous. I don't. Th- I don't think a hardship waiver is the right way they should handle it. But like, if you want to leave, your coach left. Leave. Even if your coach doesn't leave. I mean, you know, even if the coach doesn't leave. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because it's not like the coach. The coach. It's not like when the coach leaves, there's a penalty for him. You know, people. He's the sit out of year. People are upset that Jalen Hurts is the greatest college free agent of all time. Well, what does he owe the University of Alabama, or 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 or, or anybody else? He, you know, he's there to get an education, and part of it, if he can get a better opportunity. Right. You know, the uh, the alumni is mad. It may hurt the sanctity of college football. It may hurt the ratings. What is he vested in? I'm with you. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense um, that coaches can do it and players can't. Exactly. Like, it's stupid. So I, you know, I think that he's, he, he's, he, you know, I hope he gets it. Yeah. Not the least of which, because I have to go down for like parents weekends in Miami and their quarterback play was absolutely horrific this year. <laughs> and maybe he's somewhat, somewhat better. But you know what I, I think is that, there's such an emphasis in these high school programs and in sports in general, but I think that we really, as a, a country, really have to pay attention to nutrition, and sure. even at the, and really teach people that you know what you put into your body. It's like everything else. I mean, sure. if you had an Aston Martin, you probably wouldn't be buying the cheapest gas at right. the, the, the the you know the, the the worst gas station in the entire world. And you know what you put in is what you're going to get out. And I think that. We have to start teaching athletes that at a very young level. Not just athletes, Doc. I think we need to start, start, start teaching all young people. That, Absolutely. And, and old people, too. The same. Because yeah. I don't want to operate on people. You know, it's like, I, you know, right. I tell people, like, right. I'm very proud of what I do, taking care of and giving people back their lifetime. But no one wants their kids to require bariatric surgery. Certainly not. Certainly not. And um, you got to be careful. You got to be careful what you put in there because you only got one. You know, it's kind of interesting. And, and people ask all the time, and the NFL story brought it into a sports light, and obviously this is what I do, so it's, it's interesting to talk about it. But, you know, it used to be like if you were middle class, you could send your kids to college, you'd have enough money to retire, you know, potentially move down south and, and, and you know, have a, a quality life. And now you we're saying that the middle class has disappeared. Same thing's happened with obesity in this country like if you just followed kind of the average it should have taken you to reasonable health but without food supply being distorted and what we're eating being changed so rapidly if you just go with the flow it actually takes you towards obesity and diabetes and that's really the very scary part. that is the crux of the issue because if you just go with the flow most people think if they just stay in the mainstream maybe they won't be sterling sharp but they won't be, you know, you know, the fridge either. Right. Okay. But the truth is that the the river's flowing more toward the towards the fridge side. And that's an issue. I do love the fridge though. Dr. Mitchell Roslin, this has been a blast as always. I learned so much as I feel like I do each and every week. Uh, the Super Bowl, of course, coming up in just two weeks' time now. We'll have another show before the Super Bowl um, next week and it's a sports center update. I mean, it's, oh my God! We're getting beeped by the sports center update. Absolutely. Right, 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 right then and there. Absolutely. For Dr. Mitchell Roslin, I am Greg Sausman. Thank you so much for joining us here on Doc Jock. Make sure to check out all of our other old episodes. Just search 
for Doc Jock inside the YouTube search. For Doc, I'm Greg. See you next time. Night.